the account of Jesus' birth recorded in Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and, and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Jesus, our King. It's a little difficult to understand that terminology, especially in our culture here where we're not used to having or calling people king. Even though the prophets made it clear that a Messiah was coming to be a king, his arrival in the form of Jesus Christ was completely unexpected. I mean, if you're looking for a king, you would not be looking for someone like Jesus. Who, who has ever heard of a king being born to a peasant woman? It just doesn't happen. Uh, who would ever guess that the coming king would be born in a stable like an animal? Again, it just doesn't happen. Who could have imagined the king would be a carpenter? Again, it just doesn't happen. This was not the kind of king that the world was used to. Kings are, are born of noble birth. They are born on silk sheets and fine palaces. They spend their childhood being trained by philosophers and warriors in the fine arts of governing and conquering. This is no idea that, that they would have expected as a king. I mean, kings led mighty armies. Jesus led a ragtag, a bunch of unschooled fishermen. This is no way he could be a king. Kings ride on noble steeds. Jesus walked on the dusty roads of Judea. Kings are followed by lords and ladies. Jesus was followed by sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and the sick and the unwanted and those who were tossed aside. Kings live in ornate castles and Jesus had no place to lay his head. Kings wear fancy robes and jewels, and Jesus had one outfit which was taken from him before he was killed. I mean, we start to really think about the situation that took place, and he was told Jesus is king. It's a little difficult to understand. Jesus does not strike you as the kind of king that the world would expect. Many of the scholars of Jesus' time thought that there must be absolutely probably two messiahs that were coming. The prophets made it clear that the Messiah would be a king. They also made it clear that the Messiah would be humble and would suffer greatly. How can a king suffer in humility? And so they're probably thinking there's got to be a, another king that's coming. Did you ever notice 
about the reaction of the Magi from the east? I mean, you ever stop and just try to put yourself in their shoes and go, what was going on at that time in that culture? What were they thinking about? What were they wrestling with? I mean, stop and think about it. They saw the star of Jesus and knew that a king from heaven had come to earth. They saw that it was rising above Israel, so they knew that the king of the Jews had been born. And so naturally, they went to Jerusalem, the capital, for that's where the palace of King Herod would be. And that's where we must go. They must have been surprised to find out that there had not been any new births in the castle when they show up. And they're like, no, there's not been any new babies here. King not been born of King Herod? I mean, they must have been surprised when they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw the star in the east and have come to worship him. And they knew that there had been a birth because of the star led them there, but nobody knew, well, where's this baby that's been born? In fact, the scripture tells us that King Herod was disturbed. And why shouldn't he be? I mean, after all, he was the reigning king. And if a new king had been born outside of his family, it meant that he was going to be dethroned quite different than what we're used to today. Matthew says, and all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Why would they be disturbed? If there's a new king and King Herod's still on the throne, that means some battles and some wars are going to come. If there's a new king, that means there's trouble in the land. In our democratic country, changes of administration happen typically quite easily. We have an election, new presidents voted in, Congress, Senate voted in, they change seats, they start their new term. In this situation, when you have an oppressive king like Herod on the throne, change would only come by bloodshed. It would only come by battle. It would only come by a fight. A new king meant that there is a battle that's coming. And Herod called together all the scholars and asked them, where is this new king supposed to be born? And since the Magi had determined the time of the birth, they put their heads together. They dug out all the prophecies. They had that little secret meeting. They determined that the king was born in Bethlehem, just a sleepy little town about six miles outside of Jerusalem. And said, yeah, that's where he's been born at. And so Herod sent the Magi off. Now you go and find him. And when you find him, you come back and you report to me because I want to go and worship him as well, I'm sure, with a sword. He didn't want another king. So overjoyed to know exactly what the town the king was supposed to have been born in, the Magi head off to Bethlehem, that sleepy little town. And just try to imagine their faces when they come upon the house where Jesus lay. They go inside and they go, this is not a royal household or a conquering army. They found a peasant household. Imagine what they're thinking. This this baby is the king? They must have been dumbfounded that the king was this young child. The king of the Jews is going to be be a descendant from a poor teenage woman and her boyfriend, husband, not really sure, let's define the relationship? That doesn't make sense. But he's the king? I'm sure they checked their charts and their prophecies over and over and over again. I'm sure they were scratching their heads and wondering, is this the king that we were searching for? Is this who we were supposed to come and find? And when everything was said and done, they realized that no matter how incredible it might be, this was the king they were looking for. And even though it wasn't natural and it wasn't normal, they knew they were in the presence of the king. And it says they fell down and worshipped him and gave him costly gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I would love to see their faces when when the light bulb goes off and they're like, we're standing before the king. Oh, here's our gifts. And they get down on their knees and they worship. And, And I would love to see their faces in reverence as they worship the Christ child. Just put yourself in the scene. 
You know, the world is faced with a similar dilemma today. And you and I are faced with that same dilemma each and every day when we get up and get out of bed. Will we worship Jesus as king? Will he really be number one? Like the people of Jesus' time, there are a lot of reactions to the idea of Jesus being a king. Some people find it hard. They find it extremely hard to think Jesus is a king at all. He ruled no, no nation during his lifetime. He had no armies. He conquered no foreign land. He lived a life of a common man, yet he died the life of a criminal. He commands no one by force to follow him, content to let the world choose. Will they serve him or will they not serve him? These people hear that Jesus is a king, and they scoff at the idea of someone so meek and mild ruling over the world. It's a foreign concept. Quite hard to quite possibly grasp. Some in the world today act like Herod did, threatened by the idea of a new king. Those who have earthly power don't like the thought that this new king has come, seeking allegiance of people on earth. Those who rule the world through wealth or rule the world through power, manipulation, are threatened at the idea of King Jesus. His promise is to turn the world upside down, tearing down the forces that rule this world. And a king that Jesus rules, it's alien. And the powers of this world don't understand all that. See, when Jesus stood before Pilate, the representative of the kingdom of Rome, Pilate asked him point blank, are you the king of the Jews? He didn't mince any words. He came straight out and says, are you, are you the one? And Jesus answered him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. See, the kings of the world do not respect Jesus' kingdom. Why? Because they don't understand a, a kingdom of love. They don't understand a, a kingdom of peace. They don't understand a, a kingdom of forgiveness and a kingdom of grace. These people reject Jesus as king because his kingdom is not of this world. It's a foreign concept to them. And then there are some who come to Jesus just like the Magi did, the wise men and wise women who are searching for a Savior and find it just as the prophets foretold, Jesus Christ. So what is it like to be searching for the King of the Jews? What I want us to think about as you consider the text of Matthew this morning is, are, are you wise? Are we wise? If we take a few moments and just look at the life of the, the wise men, the magi, we can ask some questions to really consider. Do we walk wise like the Magi? Do, do we seek Jesus? Are we wise like the Magi searching after him? Because the wise will seek Jesus. The only reason why the Magi found Jesus is because they went searching for him. They didn't go, oh, there's a star in the sky. The king has come. That's great. Twiddle my thumbs. Kick back in my lazy boy. They didn't do that. They had studied the skies. They knew a star had appeared, was foretelling the coming of the king of the Jews. Perhaps from, they were from Persia, which was formerly known as Babylon, where the Jews had been held in captivity. If that were the case, when they probably had copies of the Old Testament, which told them about this Messiah that was coming. In any case, these foreigners knew that the king of the Jews was coming before the wise men of Israel did. And when they saw the star announcing, of the, announcing the, his arrival, they rejoiced and they got up and they left their homeland and they sought out after this new king so they could worship him. Left their country. Regardless of what the king looked like or was to be, they came bearing gifts, most precious gifts. 
And finding a new king is not an easy thing, especially when it means you must go into lands that you're foreign to and the terrain that they had to go across, maybe the mountains they had to climb, and they just followed the star. And the Magi did not know what they would find when they came upon Jesus, but they were willing to seek him out. See, if we seek Christ during this Advent season, we'll have to be willing to search for him. If you want Christ to guide your life, what does that mean for us today? That means we're willing to open the Scriptures and we're willing to continually search the Scripture and say, Lord, I want to keep seeking you because the wise seek after Jesus. That means that I will seek Him in prayer, that my prayers will not just be reciting a list of, God, here, I want to pray for all these people, okay, amen. It means I will go into intimate conversation. I will go into my prayer closet. I will spend time on my knees and I'm going to bow before Him and say, Lord, you and I just need to talk. And we'll go deeper with God in that. We'll have a time in worship where we will want to come to worship. We'll desire to be in worship. We look forward to worship. For we'll search out the King of Jesus to praise His name. In fact, the entire Christian walk can be described in a lifelong search for our King. You say, well, I made that decision some years ago. I looked for Him and I found Him and I submitted my life to Him and I've been giving my life to Him in Christian baptism. But it's a continuous search to say, I want to know Him more. I don't want to stop knowing him, and I want to grow deeper and deeper. I want, to, I want my cup continually filled as long as I'm here on this earth. See, during this time of the year, we sing songs about him. We see plays retelling the birth. We hear the scripture about his birth. We see pictures of the manger where he was born. But has it become in our life just a holiday, just a season, or is it all the time where I'm going to go, I'm seeking after Christ? I'm seeking at the King of Kings. I'm seeking at the Lord of Lords. Let this be a time when we renew our search for Jesus. When we say, I'm going to pursue him like I've never pursued before. You want to be wise? You got to seek Jesus. You want to be wise? When I look at the wise men, I see they lay gifts before Jesus. These wise men came from a foreign land and served another king. See, their citizenship was in a whole other country and their loyalty was another code of laws. They forsook all to come and find this new king they had heard about. They knew that the king who had been born was special, better than all earthly kings who had came before him. When they found him, they gave him the most precious gift representing their loyalty of worship. The Magi counted the cost and realized that there was a new king and he was to be worshipped. And they came with precious gifts of worship, a frankincense, gold, and myrrh, three of the most costly, precious oils, valuable and very rare gifts. They brought their best and bowed at his knee and no matter this was a foreign king, no matter they owed him nothing, they brought it and they said, here you go. As a form of worship, they brought their gifts and laid it at his feet. Fit to worship a king. It's no different when we meet Jesus Christ. When we see him, we have to be willing to worship him. Before we find Christ, we worshiped a different king. We worship the king of sin or the king of selfishness or selfish desires or misguided priorities. Before we find Christ, we worship a different king. We are subjects of a king of this world who rules sin and evil. But when we come to find Christ, he says, are you going to bring your all to me? Will you, will you lay your gifts at the altar? See, when we find Christ, I mean, when we truly find him as king of our life and not someone who we just kind of is part of our life with all the other parts of things going on, but he's really king of our life and we worship him, then we want to bring the most precious gifts. Now, we may not have gold and frankincense and myrrh. We may not have the most precious oils, 
But we can surely give them our devotion. We can certainly give them worship. We can certainly give them our lives. See, if you proclaim that Christ is your king, then you're called to worship him. And that means that he gets the first fruit of your time and your talent and your treasure. You want to know, is he really first place? Just stop him for, for a week or two and do an evaluation of where am I putting my time? Where am I putting my treasure, my money? And where am I putting my talents? Where am I investing my abilities? And you can easily just kind of use a piece of paper and write down some thoughts. You can even chart out some time schedules. You can chart out your budget. You can look at all those things and go, man, I'm putting an awful lot of time here. I'm putting an awful lot of money here. I'm putting an awful lot of my abilities here. Do they align with Christ's kingdom? If they don't, maybe this Christmas season is time to kind of readjust priorities to really say, is he really first? See, the Advent Christmas season gives us the opportunity to worship the King through all of our worship services, through our gatherings, through your gatherings with families, reading the scriptures. You have lots of times to worship. But really, worship is stopping and spending the time and looking at, is he first place my time, my talent, my treasures? Am I bringing those and laying them at his feet? The wise men, they search, they lay gifts, and then the wise, they serve one king. See, Jesus made it perfectly clear when he said, no one can serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. See, if you claim to have a king, then he must be your only king. The Magi had to make a decision. Would they obey the new king that they had found or the king of the world? After they had found Jesus and worshipped him, they were warned in a dream to go home by another route because King Herod planned to kill Jesus. King Herod was a ruler of the land. And he was a ruthless king. And what did he tell him? He said, now listen, when you find him, you come back and report to me. But in a dream, they're told, now you go home by another route. They could obey the king of the world, or they could obey the king they just met that lays in a manger. See, their commitment was to the new king. It was real. It was complete. It even meant that they disobeyed the king of the world. They went home by another route. See, we're called to know less. Even though there are many kings who clamor for our obedience, the Christian today is called to follow many kings of this world. The king of pleasure, uh, the king of greed, the king of pride, the king of complacency, the king of indifference, the king of pluralism. You think about it, there's all kinds of kings that cry out for our time. One, wor one world says that it is foolish to claim only one Savior when there are so many to choose from. Kofi Annan once the United Nations Secretary General and a Nobel Peace Prize winner said the idea that there is one people in possession of truth, one answer to the world's ills, or one solution to humanity's needs has done untold harm throughout history. Now, allow me to interpret for you what he said because the implications are absolutely chilling. A man who once held the position the United Nations and a Nobel Peace Prize winner is saying that there is not one truth, that there is not one answer to the world's ills, and that there is not one solution to humanity's needs. I would beg to differ with such a respected worldly man because the gospel teaches us totally the opposite. There is one truth, and there is one answer, and there is one solution, and there is one king, and there is only one king. And the problems of this world are not caused by too few kings to worship, by the, but by the fact that the world does not worship the one and true king. And church, may I suggest, it has to start with us. 
This world will never embrace the one true king until we truly worship the one true king. If we are to bow to Jesus and live according to his law of peace, his laws of grace, his laws of forgiveness, his laws of mercy, this world will be a much better place. And the chaos of this world is caused by so many people bowing to so many gods, the God of falseness, the God of violence, the God of greed, the God of pride, the God of jealousy, the God of hatred, the God of relativity, the God of I'll do whatever I want to do, the God of I'll live the way I want to live and you live the way you want to live. All those things are destroying this world. So if you're going to call Jesus your king, then we must renounce the claims that all other kings have on us. The problem with most Christians today is that they are trying to serve too many kings to the detriment of serving one true king, that's King Jesus. We cannot serve Jesus and money. We cannot serve Jesus and lust, Jesus and ourselves, Jesus and our jobs, Jesus and other religions, Jesus and anything. When you add anything to Jesus, then you're saying, I'm worshiping other gods and other kings. It's either all Jesus or no Jesus. It's either he's king or he's not king. It's either he's master or he's not master. He's Lord or he's not Lord. See, if there's anything in our life that commands your time or your attention or your devotion other than Jesus, then you're truly not worshiping God with all of your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. It's hard because this world cries out. Give time here, give time here, follow this truth, follow that teaching, follow this, follow that. This Advent season is time for us to stop, step back and look at it and go, is he really my king? Advent time is a season to examine our life and determine if there is anything that's taking away from that true, solitary worship of Jesus. See, if you're still listening to King Herod, listening to King Money, King Sin, then, then it's time to renounce that and turn back to the true King Jesus. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not exactly easy. It's easy to seek God. But it's not exactly easy then to submit to him. To be sure, he's easy to find for those who seek him, but it's hard to realize that finding him means that I have to worship him and I have to let go of my way of living and do his way of living. It means laying down control of our own lives. It means renouncing the idols that we formerly worship. It, it means that the ways of life that I formerly rule us can no longer rule us anymore. Being a Christian is not just a title we give ourselves. It's a lifelong commitment to a benevolent yet powerful king of kings. And it means I'll live that way for my life. Jesus came to be a king, but his kingdom is not of this world. His subjects are those who are Christians who seek him, who worship him, who serve him. His castle is the church who is composed of those who claim him only as their king. His land is in heaven since this world will be destroyed in anticipation of the time when the new earth and a new home and a new eternal castle is created. See, the invitation today is that are we really seeking him with all of our heart? to worship him with all that you have and to serve him with all that you are. Pilate, speaking for the kings of this earth, said to Jesus, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came in the world to testify to truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Let me just ask you this Christmas, are you a wise man or a wise woman? When you look at the life of the Magi, have you sought the King Jesus by asking him to be king of your life? Do you worship the king with the gifts that you offer? Are you seeking him? Are you serving him as the one and only king? 